As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20 today, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, This week, on June the 6th, we as a nation remembered D-Day. Now, if you're not familiar with D-Day, it was the morning that 156,000 troops basically stormed the beaches of Normandy back in World War II in what was called Operation Overload. It wound up being a real pivotal day in the entire uh, war. Sometimes it's called the longest day. And before those soldiers uh, stormed the beaches, they received a letter from the Supreme Allied Commander. His name was Dwight Eisenhower. Sometimes people call him what, for short? Ike. And so he wrote this letter, and it began this way. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hope and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely, but this is the year, 1944. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. Now, can you imagine if you received those orders from the general that this is what you are supposed to do, but instead of the free men of the world marching together, they all decided to do their own thing. They read the letter and they say, well, General Eisenhower says that we're supposed to storm the beaches, but I don't think that's a good idea. I think we should probably go over here. Maybe we just ought to move our ship and go over this way. And after all, who put him in charge after all? I mean, what does he know? He's never really uh, been in the boat. He's just a general or, you know what I'll do? I'm going to, I'm going to ask Twitter and see what they think we should do here. I'll take a few pictures, post it, see if they think we should storm the beaches or if we should go elsewhere. Or maybe somebody else is over here and saying, you know what, I don't feel like storming the beaches today, so I'm just going to play Xbox. You guys go ahead, do your thing. I'll stay back here on the boat, and I'll kind of critique you and make sure that I can tell you what I like and what I don't like and, and discover how it's going. Could you imagine if that were the reaction of the military personnel? The world would probably be a much different place. We might even be speaking uh, German today if that were the reaction. Authority issues have always been a problem all the way back since the Garden of Eden. They come in a lot of different shapes and forms. Sometimes authority issues come from the leader. The leader might be corrupt or might have uh, an abuse of power. And so they have authority issues by the way in which they lead. We might even have some, don't raise your hand, might even have some that have a boss or a a principal or somebody like that that you struggle with in that way. Other people have authority issues because for whatever reason you've never really uh, learned to accept authority from those that God has placed over you. And then some of us have authority issues because rather than just simply accepting that which God has put in our care, We worry about everything else in the world and things that God has not put in our care, but we spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about it. In Luke chapter 20 and verse 1, we see people questioning the authority of Jesus. 
And so it begins in verse 1. One day he was teaching the people in the temple complex and proclaiming the good news. The chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it who gave you this authority? So Jesus is teaching in the temple. Now you'll recall in the last passage, Jesus had cleansed the temple. He had caused quite a stir when he threw out the money changers. The temple is the religious epicenter of Jerusalem. And this is the busiest week in Jerusalem. It's like Disney World on the 4th of July. Everybody's arrived, okay? There's about 2.5 million people or so that have migrated to Jerusalem for the Passover week. And Jesus is in the middle of the temple and he's teaching. Now, what is he teaching? The Bible says he's proclaiming the good news. When the New Testament talks about the good news, it's referring to the gospel. Literally, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So three groups of people come up to Jesus and they begin challenging his authority to teach. The first group were the chief priest. The chief priest were the ones that saw themselves and they had a lot of authority in the sense that they were in charge of the temple. The second group that came up to Jesus were the scribes. The scribes were in charge of the rules. I sometimes call them the hall monitors of the faith. They had their glasses and pocket protectors, and they made sure that everybody followed the rules. In fact, the scribes had rules for the rules. They literally had scrolls of rules. So when the Bible says, don't do this, they would then make all sorts of other rules as to what that meant. And if the scribes caught you breaking the rules, it just made their day. And then there was a third group that came up to Jesus. The Bible calls them the elders. They were kind of like the HOA. (laughs) Everybody loves the HOA, right? Uh, So they were kind of like the HOA. They were the leaders of the family clans. And so they had a lot of authority and influence in the community. In many ways, the elders ran Jerusalem. So they asked Jesus two questions. Both of them are trick questions. The first one was this. By what authority are you doing these things? Because if Jesus said, well, I don't really have authority to teach and tell the good news in the temple, then they could take Jesus and they could throw him out just like he did the money changers. But if Jesus said, well, I'm teaching under God's authority, then they could accuse Jesus of blasphemy and they were looking for that crack that would allow them to go to the Romans and essentially uh, work towards Jesus' crucifixion. The second question that they asked was, who gives you this authority? So they come up to Jesus, they're basically like, did you stop by City Hall first? Do you have a permit to teach here and to share the good news? They say, you can't talk about God unless we have given you permission. There are some people that feel as though you have to have their permission before you can read the Bible or share the gospel or do anything as far as ministry is concerned. Now, ultimately, their goal was to try to get Jesus to be quiet. Quit sharing the gospel. Quit sharing this message. Just be quiet. Do you realize that there are a lot of people that they want 
Christians simply to sit down and be quiet. You're a Christian, eh? All right, well, good for you. But just be quiet about it. Just sit down and go over in the corner. Now, people embrace Christianity for a lot of reasons. Sometimes people embrace Christianity because it's just the way I was raised. My parents took me to church since I was little, and that's just all I've ever done. And So that's why you're a Christian, because it was your parents' thing. Sometimes people embrace Christianity because they feel like it gives you a moral base. Sometimes people like the church, and they like having friends, and they like the activities of the church, and art camp, and summer camp, and all the different things that the church does. Sometimes we embrace Christianity because God gives us a child, and we're like, all right, isn't it great? I'm a dad. Now I've got to teach this child something, right? Okay, and how am I going to do this? Okay, I'll, I'll take the child to church, and they'll take care of the right and wrong God stuff, right? And so we have these different reasons why people embrace Christianity. Genuine Christianity, though, embraces Jesus. It embraces Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, one of the uniquenesses of Jesus was He didn't just call you to attend church. Jesus called you to trust in Him. Jesus didn't say, okay, here are my teachings, now go do it. Jesus says, here am I. Believe in me, and I'll empower you to follow out, to live out my teachings. And so as Christians, when you adorn yourself with Christ, when you genuinely trust in Christ, you need to grasp this. Trusting in Christ means that you will believe and live out some values that are counter-cultural. And that there will be people in society that ultimately want to marginalize you silence your voice, and want you to go away. And they will attack Christians on various levels. When Christians try to share their beliefs, uh, normally the first attack these days is a mob attack. But a mob attack is no longer with pitchforks. A mob attack is now usually through tweets and posts and news articles. And so people will attack Christians in various ways, trying to get you to quit talking about it, just to be quiet, to go away. Now, if the mob attack doesn't work, then the second attack would be laws. You start making it harder legally for churches to be a church, for Christians to practice or share their faith. Now, in the United States right now, mainly what Christians experience is the first attack. The, would you guys just be quiet? We're going to try to marginalize you, kind of paint your beliefs as uh, yesterday, and ultimately try to push you to the corner of society so that we don't have to think about you. That's mainly what we hear today. But I think we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that eventually... People will try to begin passing laws that make it harder and harder for Christians to be Christian and churches to be churches. I'm thankful for the, um, the case that was tried by the Supreme Court that really said, okay, we need to value religious liberty in the country. But especially those that are younger amongst us need to be prepared to live in America in the years to come. And you're going to need more than 
hashtags and attractive families, skinny jeans and theology books to face what's coming. You're going to need a conviction that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You're going to need to have a firm belief in who you are, who Christ is, and an understanding that you live out and you share your faith, not based upon what you think, but because God has given you an authority and a command to do so. And you're going to need the power of God to give you a confidence that calls you to communicate the good news, not just to people that look like you, grew up like you, talk like you, but to communicate the good news to all people groups. So Jesus answers these guys, and he responds to them, Well, I, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? So they discussed it amongst themselves. And they said, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. So I I love the way that Jesus answers this question. He goes back to John the Baptist. You all remember John the Baptist, that camel hair wearing, locust eating, long haired Baptist. Everybody loves John the Baptist. He's actually one of the most underrated characters in the entire New Testament. And John the Baptist had a very popular message. John the Baptist's message was there is forgiveness of sin and that there is hope from God and that God was sending his son into the world so that we might have freedom in Christ. And he called people to repent from their sin to be baptized in preparation for what God was going to do. And he became popular. Many people were baptized. Then he was arrested, and he was unfairly put to death. And so John the Baptist became this larger-than-life figure. He was a martyr for the faith, and he became an example of somebody who believed in his cause so much that he was willing to stand for it even in the face of corrupt authority, because the people began to realize that King Herod was a corrupt leader and John the Baptist had stood up to him. So the religious leaders knew that if they said John was from God, then Jesus could just look at him and say, well, why did you kill him? You should have been baptized. But if the religious leaders said John was not from God, the mob was going to attack them and literally... They were fearful for their lives. And so they're, I mean, Jesus answers their question with a question, and they huddle up, and they decide, okay, what what answer should we give? And so in verse 7, they come back to Jesus, and they say, I don't know. That's what the Bible says here, right? Basically, I mean, in the Greek, it means, I don't know. They, they, They came back to Jesus, and they said, well, we don't know its origin. And so Jesus said to them, all right, well, neither will I tell you, by what authority I do these things. Now, I want you to notice a few things here. Number one, you need to equip yourself to defend your faith. Jesus is our Savior, and he was extraordinarily wise in his answers. Time and time again, you see people come to Jesus with questions, and, and Jesus responds in such an incredibly wise way. You also need to realize you're not Jesus. And so you probably need to study 
and read. It's important that you read your Bible. Do you know what the Bible says? Have you ever read it? Do you take time every day to read the Word of God? When people ask you questions about the Bible, have you looked at it? And beyond the Bible, I would encourage you to also read some books. Read some books on theology. Read some books on apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith and how you wrestle with some of the questions that people commonly ask. I've been real pleased that in our, in our student ministry, one of the things that we've been trying to get the students to do is to, to study apologetics so that they can have answers to questions that people commonly ask. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We need to study. We need to learn how to answer questions. You need to think about some of these social issues. You need to think about some of the questions that people commonly hurl at Christianity so that you can give an answer. Now, you also need to have an attitude of gentleness and respect as you engage with people. And then realize there's only so much that you can study, so much that you know. You also have to depend upon the power of God. You have to trust that the Holy Spirit will at times give you the words to say. And sometimes people don't really need you to say anything. They just need you to be there and extend to them the ministry of presence. And they need to see within your life an authentic witness of Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing that you need to realize, and that is that you'll never convince everyone. In fact, our primary job is to share the gospel, and then we trust in God's power to convict people of their need for the gospel. And some people will come to a Christian, and they'll have questions for you. Okay, tell me, tell me okay, you, you believe this. Well, tell me about this, and help me understand, why is it that you believe in the Bible? Why is it that you live your life? And some people will have genuine questions, and you say, well, Ash, how, how do I respond? Well, you try to love them, and, and you try to help them. That's the godly way to respond. And also understand this, that some people just like to stir the pot. You got anybody in your life that just likes to stir the pot? Okay, there's two of us that have somebody in your life that like to stir the pot. The rest of you, nobody in your life that ever likes to stir the pot, right? Okay, there are some people out there that, and these guys that came to Jesus, they weren't really looking for an answer. They were just stirring, stirring the pot. And there's people that you'll encounter that they don't really want an answer. They're just trying to cause problems, whatever they can do to maybe even cast doubt. But thirdly, realize this. Ministry can be hard. And not just ministry. Leadership, responsibility. If you serve in the church in some capacity... If you're a leader in VBS or a life group leader or whatever it might be that God has called you to, to do, there are times where it's going to get hard. And that's the same thing in life. If you've accepted any kind of leadership responsibility, you're a teacher in a classroom, you're a supervisor at work, whatever it might be, 
whenever God puts you in a position of authority and gives you responsibility, realize that it can be hard. You will be criticized. You will be out there where people will take shots at you. Now, how did Jesus get into this position? Why were these people so vehemently against him? Well, what did Jesus do? He taught the word of God. He cleansed the temple so that people would actually be free to worship in the temple. He uh, healed the blind. He uh, reached out to the lost and the lonely. Jesus went about, Acts says, Jesus went about doing good. And yet, even though Jesus did all the right things, there were still people that worked for his demise. Do you understand that you could walk on water and heal the blind, and there will still be some people out there that want to crucify you? That's just a reality. You can do everything right, and there's still some that just won't like you. I, I used to be a childhood education expert. I could tell you anything. I, I, mean, I got a doctorate degree. I, I could tell you anything about kids and, and what you needed to do and parenting techniques and things like that. And then I had kids. <laughs> and I've discovered that, that the more kids I have, really the less I know. You know, I mean, I'm just like, I just hold on and hope to make it through the day. You know, I mean, that's kind of, and whenever my kids get to be teenagers, I'm going to have to lean on some of y'all to talk me off the cliff, you know, because I, I understand that, you know, it can be challenging at times. None of you students are challenging in any way, but I understand some teenagers can be challenging for their, for their parents. And, uh, you know, it's easy to be a pot stirrer. It's easy to have an opinion. It's easy to sit in the stands. If you're an NFL fan, it's easy to uh, wear the Cowboys jersey, sit up there in the stands, and when the coach calls a play, you're like, why did he do that? That makes no sense whatsoever. Dak does something, Zeke does something, and you're like evaluating their play. You're calling in on talk radio, asking questions and picking the team apart all the while eating this big old hot dog. You know, it's easy to kind of sit in the stands. It is much harder to strap on the pads and get in the game. Now, when it comes to pro football, there's a reality that's beginning to sink in for me. I don't think they want me to play. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a pro athlete, and I don't think they really want me in the game. I have waited now for 25 years for Jerry Jones to call me <laughs> on draft day. Lash and says, uh, Jerry Jones, hope you're doing well. Want you to come play for the Dallas Cowboys. Would you like to play for the Cowboys and have a star on your helmet? You know, I'm waiting for that call. Just a seventh-round draft pick. You know, I would be happy with all that. Uh, I, as, I've, as I've aged, I've thought, okay, maybe I can't. Maybe I could be the chaplain and just be the team chaplain. I mean, they need a chaplain, don't they? And uh, I could do that. But they still, they, they just don't seem to see it the way that I see it. So there's some things in life that, you're not really welcome. But when it comes to the story of God, you have a place on the team. There's something that you can do. Whether you're introverted, extroverted, young, old, male, female, whoever you might be, rich or poor, there is a place on the team for you. 
God wants you to be a part of his story. And Christianity is not intended to be a spectator game. Christianity is not intended to be something where we sit around and say they. Christianity is supposed to be something where we say we. And God wants you in the game. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus called his disciples around him just before he ascended into heaven. And he said to them, all authority, there's our word authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You say, well, how did Jesus get this authority? Who made Jesus Lord? God gave him this authority. How did Jesus get this authority? Why did God give it to him? Well, because you know what the most audacious belief that Christians hold is? John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He, do you know it? Say it with me. For God so gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is an audacious belief. That the world is not an accident. It's not something that just came about by cosmic chance. But the world was created. And we believe that that world found itself in the grip of darkness and sin because of humankind's fall. But God didn't just look at the world and say, well, good luck with that. No, the creator of the world also designed the world, and he loves his creation. He loves you. He loves me. He loves people that are far away from him. And he loves them so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin, to live a life that none of us could live, to die upon the cross for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God intended for sin into himself, to take that wrath into the grave, but the grave could not contain him because through his power and through his sinless perfection, he overcame death and he became Lord and King over all and God says son it all belongs to you all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth and then Jesus calls his disciples together and says I am transferring some of my authority to you I am calling you to do something and I'm empowering you to do it and then he gives us a specific task go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our goal. This is what Jesus, in his authority, has called us to do to go, and as we go, we are to make disciples. Our goal is people. We want to see people come alive in Jesus Christ and then mature in Him so that we are leading people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives that are being changed through the power of the gospel. And when someone comes alive in Christ, we baptize them. It is a public profession of what's happened in their heart. And we baptize them. And when they are baptized, they come into the body, which is the church. And then as you arrive here in the body, we teach you what it means to follow Christ. The scriptures say, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So what does that entail? Well, it entails teaching you the word of God and the truths of God and the doctrines of God. 
But you know what? There is something different. It's different to teach someone about God than it is to teach someone to observe everything God has shown us. I could teach you truth and you would know a lot about God, but the scriptures say that making disciples involves teaching people to observe. Some translations say teaching people to obey. What that means is we live life together. It means that you go to a life group teacher class and they teach you a lesson, but then we actually live it out together. And so we learn from one another. And we're there for each other because we're teaching one another what it means to observe that which Christ taught us. And Jesus says, okay, remember two things here. Number one, I'm never going to leave you. I will be with you in this. When you find yourself isolated and alone, whenever you find people trying to shut your voice down, I am with you. And number two, remember this, you're doing this under my authority. Okay, I've given you permission. Jesus says, this is what the church is supposed to do. Go and make disciples. And so as we look at this summer in the life of our church, lots happening. A couple weeks will be VBS, 150 kids or so coming into these doors. We have an opportunity to pour into them all week. We will decorate the campus like a superhero theme. I, I did that wrong, right? A superhero theme, okay? And, and we'll have a great attitude about it, right? Because we're doing this for the children. We have camps going on throughout, the, throughout the, the summer. Three different camps. We have mission trips. Group going down to Orange, Texas to help with hurricane relief. Samson right now in India is tearing it up in a good way. Okay? He is like having people baptized every day over in India. We are renovating our, our worship room over there. Thank you so much for your graciousness in coming over here. This is our summer home. Everybody always wanted a summer home, right? Uh, uh, so we're here for the summer as we renovate that room, and we're going to have it for years to come as a wonderful, beautiful place to worship our Lord. We're hiring a kids minister. That's a huge piece of, of our church. We're also, for the first time, going to have a, a director of communications that will help us tell the stories of God. And why do we do all these things? What, what's it all about? It has one simple goal, and that, we have one simple goal, and that is to go and make disciples. We do it for that, to go and make disciples. And I am so thankful for those of you that make up this body, for those of you that are in the game, for those of you that are a part. Some of you are guests, and perhaps you're searching for God's will. Is this where God wants me? Is this, is this supposed to be my church? I, you need to seek the Lord's will in your heart, but I want to tell you this is an amazing group of people. This is an incredible church, and we welcome you here, and we're glad that you're here among us. And some of us find ourselves kind of sitting out on the fringe sometimes, and we're, we're watching a lot of stuff, but we're not actually volunteering. We're not actually getting involved, and my prayer for you is that you'll join us. We need you. Let's quit saying they and start saying we. We need people not to just hover around the fringe of the church, but instead to say, I want to be a part, I want to be part of the body of the church. When the church gathers for worship, I want to be there. When the church sings songs together, I want to sing because I am a part of this and I'm all in. I, I can imagine those soldiers the night before what would be the most terrifying and yet courageous day of their lives. And they unfold that 
letter that Eisenhower had written. Maybe they even kind of gathered with a flashlight around reading it. And they come to the end of that letter where have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. God has called us as a church to the great and noble undertaking of making disciples. That is our goal. That is what we're about. It's not for our own glory. It's not so that we can say, hey, look at us. Look at what we've done. Look what, look what we accomplished. It's for the glory of God. And my prayer is that you won't just sit in the stands and watch, but that you'll be all in to discover how God has equipped you, to discover the opportunities that God has given you. And you're not an accident. You are a custom creation of God. And to discover how God has wired you to be a part of His story. Because I pray for you that you will have stories of faith that you tell. Not just that you hear, but stories of faith that you tell. Because God has done some unexpected things in your life that cause you to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. It is an incredible life, this life we call faith. And there is no greater joy in the world than to be there when someone comes alive in Jesus Christ and to help them learn what it means to follow Christ. That's what we're all about. Let's go and make disciples. And realize that we do so under the authority of Jesus Christ and that He will never leave us nor forsake us, but will be with us to the end of the age. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Perhaps today is the day that Jesus is stirring your heart to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps God is calling you to become a part of this church and to request or to join a membership. I'll be here at the front. I'd be glad to pray with you during this next song. I'd also be glad to talk with you after the service as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that we've seen in your word. But we realize, Lord, that it's not just contained to a book, but that truth is meant to live within our hearts. And so we pray that through your power, the words might be seen in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us opportunity to be a part of your story. I thank you for the uniquenesses that are in this room, the different personalities, the different gifts, the different perspectives, the different stages of life. I thank you, Father, that you bring us together and you form a body, a local body that is a church. And I pray that we will not lose sight. Help us, Lord, not to simply sit on the sidelines and criticize, but help us, Father, to be in the game to pour out our own lives for your glory and help us, Father, to celebrate whenever great things happen. Help us, Father, to be happy when we see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ uh, doing well. And help us, Father, to reach out to those that are searching, to those that have questions, 
and to be ready to give an answer, trusting in you, realizing that even when our knowledge reaches its conclusion, your knowledge is just beginning and that your spirit will give us guidance and direction each step of the way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name now that we sing this song of praise. Amen.